Hi everybody, my name is Jack Howard. Welcome to episode four of The Everyday Hair Colorist. And today I have a fantastic guest. Her, her name is Nancy Stripe and she's from Manchester. I don't know whether you know Nancy or not, but I, somebody I met a number of years ago. She's super talented, super commercial, of course, otherwise she wouldn't be invited onto this show. And she has some really interesting ideas about education and about communicating to clients. So welcome, Nancy. Hi, Jack. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Really good um, to have you on, on the podcast, so thank you. Thank you. I'm so, so honoured to be here. Thank you so much to ask me to come. Um, I remember meeting you about, what, was it 2013? It was a long time we, ago. Yeah, we got you to come up to James Roberts in Manchester, didn't we? That's right, and that's, that's when I first met you, and that's when yeah. I saw your passion for commercial hair colour. Yeah. Um, and you sort of just embraced the what I was saying at the time, which was, uh, you know, about the freehand revolution and hashtag foils are dead. Obviously, they're not. Um, but it was sort of what I was doing at the time. And you embraced it. And it was really cool. Um, you've been super busy. Very, very busy. Yeah. I, I guess I've moved salons a couple of times. Um Every time I've moved, I feel like I've evolved a little bit more into the colourist that I've wanted to be. And I think you can probably sort of align yourself with that as well, haven't you? With what you've done. In your, I mean, yeah. I think you grow, don't you? You really brand. You do grow as you move as you move around, but yeah. you, strategically usually, isn't it? So yeah. Where yeah. have you gone now? Where are you now? Tell our so, audience. I'm at Reuben Wood Creatives in Manchester, and. It's a studio in the Northern Quarter. It's absolutely beautiful. It's very minimal aesthetic. They use gorgeous products. Um, but they also really allow me to be me and be free in whatever I want to do. They've completely trusted uh, my instincts in where colouring's going. Um, I've retrained most of the staff to start doing lived in colour it's started to become a real integral part of the salon now so um yeah it's just it's just been a great brand to be part of Ruben he's sort of involved with fashion shows and a lot of um session work and things like that so he's got loads and loads of energy but that's not where I lay but I've got the energy in education and the commercial side so we're kind of coming together at the minute to sort of see what we can do with our education and he's going to come on board with lived in sessions and yeah hopefully we're gonna go into a really good direction with it that's brilliant and I think it's really important that for all of us that are you're self-employed yeah 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 it's really important for there are so many in the industry and that seems to be the way the industry is going in many ways but if you're self-employed you still need to be motivated and still need to have people around you that inspire you and, and support you even more so, I'd say, when you're self-employed. I think if you haven't got that energy when you're self-employed, you're not going to be... You're not going to have any money. <laughs> That's no. the first thing. No, and this, you won't earn any money. And this is really... This podcast is about commercial hair colour and how we can make more money and live better yeah. lives and be, be our authentic selves as well. Let's, yeah. You said something really lovely there, and I've been following this story, and it's your lived-in sessions. How... Do, before we actually talk about lived-in sessions, how did you get to where you are now? I have to start with the education I received from you. Um, I was always quite a commercial colourist and I'd, I'd been teaching myself these kind of techniques for a long time. 
Then we got you on board. You came up and taught the salon. Then I was practicing with balayage and foils and wasn't quite sure where I was going with it. And then after I had my first baby, um, I spent a lot of time up at night watching online education, learning from the Australians, learning from uh, people in LA. Um, And it just kind of dawned on me that the kind of hair I was trying to create wasn't actually always achievable with one technique like freehand or especially not in this country because we don't have the volumes that are high enough to to give us the lift that we need and you know people's hair is generally quite a lot darker it's a cooler environment in the salon so I was sort of exploring how to achieve a similar look but with different techniques that would give me the power that I needed to to get that look that end look that's brilliant so, because if you think about it, really, that it's I've I've never taught get the look. I've taught technique, but it's not like you have one cutting technique no. um, in a salon, and all you do is bobs or undercuts. I mean, yeah. hopefully, it's a little bit more diverse than that. And it should yeah. be the same with color, shouldn't it? There should be more yeah. than one way to approach yeah. something, and some some ways are going to need this, and other ways are going to need the other. And we should be well rounded as colorists to be able to yeah. do all of those things. Yeah, and what I try to do on my training days is um, I'll do two demos and both of them are going to get me to a similar place, but both of them will be completely different hair types. Um, And it's showing my students how they can confidently say to their clients, I can get you as close to this as possible or we can make this journey together in two or three sessions. And it really is just about giving them the confidence to achieve the blend that they need. Um, But it might be over two or three different techniques. So I want to take you back just a little bit to something you just said before I let you go forward. Um, Really interesting because throughout these podcasts, everybody is talking about something that I feel strongly about and obviously you do, which is the journey. And we obviously live in this age where on social media, everything seems to be instant. But as colorists, we need to communicate a different message, really, to sort of manage the expectation and you're saying you talk about a journey, which is similar to what I do too. What does what does that conversation look like for you with a client? Under promise, over deliver, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So I'll always say to them, you know, I'll get to as close to what I can in one session, but you're probably going to be looking at two or three sessions. In my head, I probably know I'm going to get a bit closer to that on the first one. Yes. Um, unless it's somebody that's a full colour correction or something like that. But um, I, that's what I'll generally do. I'll sort of try and do as much as I can, but not really promise too much. Well, I think within a sort of 45-minute hour time frame, there's only so much you can do anyway, isn't there? Yeah. For an appointment. Yeah. Consultations. How important are they to you? Do you do them? And then do you charge for them? I don't charge for them. Okay. I'm considering thinking about charging for them. Let's let's have a look at that. Let's look at that. I'm returning to work and 
I've really, really had to think about it this time because I've obviously I've got two children now. Yeah. And my time now is more precious than it ever was before. So I'm used to do cutting and colouring within the salon because I used to want to cut my hair before I coloured it so that I didn't lose any of the, you know, of the sort of balayage to the ends. Uh, I'm actually working it out now that it gets cut with somebody else first and then it comes back to me. And then I've been thinking, well, how can I do that and give four consultations away for free, uh, you know, a week or whatever, because that's a full hour's appointment, isn't it? Absolutely, if not more. If not more, yeah. Uh, So I'm considering it, but how to do that, I'm I'm not quite sure. I think I probably need your advice on that, actually. But um, So, yeah, I do them. They're absolutely integral. I will not colour somebody's hair unless I've done one. Right. Uh, And then I will patch test and do what I need to do in the consultation time as well. Absolutely. So one of the things that I'd discovered and that it's like once I charged for a consult, it didn't matter whether I charged 1p or, you know, £100, whatever it was, people turned up because suddenly it had value. Um, and the other thing was that I didn't need to mention a patch test and allergy alert test because that wasn't why they were coming in. That was part of the reason, but not the whole reason. So it was a case of by coming in and having the consult, I could do everything that I wanted in it and everyone showed up. So none of my time was wasted. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to... I mean, I've been charging for bookings. Yes. So I would take a deposit for new clients because I was getting so many that were coming in f- for the consultations that weren't actually turning up for the appointments because they were booking in so far advance. So last year I had nearly a six-month waiting list to, to get in. Congratulations, um, that's fantastic. Well done. Thank you. Um and it got to a point where people were probably coming in three, four months before, booking the appointment and either forgetting or just in that time, just not just losing the fact that they were coming in with me or whatever the reasons were. But I was getting quite a few gaps. So I ended up charging for actually making the appointment. And then that obviously got taken off the appointment at the end. I love that because that's really sort of what, reinforces what I've done. So I charge for the consult and that's redeemable against the appointment. And then first-time bookings also have to pay a deposit for their first-time booking, which is all, again, redeemable. So it's you're virtually similar vein to what yeah. I'm doing. And mine was born out of the same frustrations you have, that you'd be super busy and people wouldn't turn up because they just didn't want to. And every other industry that is service-related, as you know, charges for everything. And yet here we are. What would your advice be to a salon owner uh, or somebody who's self-employed that doesn't charge for these first-time bookings and is frightened? What did you have to overcome? It was so easy to me. I was was out of pocket. I was so out of pocket. There was one month where I was, my wage was down by nearly a quarter. I remember that was a story, wasn't it? You did that on stories. I did, yeah, because I was so frustrated. Had these people let me know 24 to 48 hours before, I had a waiting list of five or six people that wanted to get in with me. So Mm. Instagram is so integral to what we do because all of my clients follow me on Instagram. So they know to keep looking on there. If they can't get in with me, 
I will every now and again, maybe once a week even, just put free appointment tomorrow at this time. They've already had the patch test and they can come in so I can fill my appointments. I never have any spare time Love if that. people let me know. Working smartly. Yeah. So we'll get to Instagram, don't you worry, because I think that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, love it or hate it, we will talk about that. But then um, that was lovely and really interesting and I th- hopefully other people will bite the bullet and not be frightened of it. Let's go back a little bit more to that early part of the conversation and lived in colour. So lived in colour is massive at the moment. And what I thought was interesting about the way in which you were doing this is for your education, you were communicating to everyday hairdressers. You weren't brand focused. You weren't sort of saying you've got to use this product or this product. It was very much more about this is the look that you can get. And brands aren't really offering that so much. So take us through that. How did that all happen for you? Last year, um, I did three incredibly important education dates with Edwards & Co. Yeah. Uh, They're Australian, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Thompson. Which is Chelsea Chelsea Haircutter, yeah, who's Australian as well. And Cherie Noble. Bixie Colour. Bixie. (laughs) Who's Australian. So there wasn't wasn't an English course on there, Nancy. No. Uh, And there was a reason for that, is that the only course in the UK that was giving me what I wanted was the course I'd already done with yourself and I've done your online work as well. So there was nowhere else I could go. There wasn't anywhere else to learn uh, what I wanted to learn. And I went on these training courses and they absolutely blew me away. I've never done anything like it. It was all look and learn. Yeah. All very low key. Uh, There was maybe 20 people, 25 people in a room watching two hairdressers do a demo but it was still interactive so most hairdressers look and learn that's how we do it yes I yeah mean, you, you know online or uh, yeah you see it once and you know how to do it as a hairdresser it's um the way we learn and I think we've always learned that way uh, but it's not the way I've ever learned when I've been to a uh, colour focused course in this country it's always been you have sort of these uh, morning sessions where it's the theory and then you have the afternoon that's the practical and it works for some things but actually I don't think it does work for uh, the colour that I've been learning myself so we turned up to these sessions there were two there was um, Michael Kelly and Jay Edwards that was the first one that I went to and it was just so open. We all had lunch together. Everybody just chit-chatted. Uh, it was about industry secrets. It was about the colours that they like. It wasn't ever brand-focused with any of them. I think they the had, interesting um, thing about all of these people that you're talking about, um, one, they're Australian, but also they weren't aligned in their education with a product company necessarily. And they are what we call disruptors. They've disrupted the market. Um, and they were off. They're offering like, quite a few people doing it now, but offering stuff that is relevant to commercial hairdressers, and that seems to be maybe I'm putting words into your mouth, but that product companies aren't always doing. Then they're selling products rather than selling technique. Well, wh- maybe why corner yourself to only a tiny percentage of the market? 
Mm. I mean, if you're if you're teaching something, why would you say I can only teach people that use this certain product? Or I mean, I've got my favourites, you know, as you do, but I don't want to corner myself. I don't want to corner the market when I'm trying to teach my course to to students. Or when you're going on education as well. Or when I'm going on. Or when I'm going on education, definitely not. No, it's it's. I, I think when you work for a colour brand or when you you are um, immersed in a colour brand you only ever meet the hairstylist and the colourist that work for that brand and you don't know anybody else mm. but when you go on these independent courses you end up realising that there's actually a field of talent out there and a network of people that you can meet that have got absolutely nothing to do with the people that you've known for the past 10 years or something you know. Absolutely and don't you think that it's the joy of Instagram that is the joy of Instagram, that it showcase, you can showcase your work, you can look at other people that have a, a similar maybe taste level to what you have, um, who are doing things that maybe you want to do or that you're already doing. And, it's, and you can communicate with those people so honestly and so openly. It's, it's so different, isn't it? I think it's quite scary for colour companies right now because they can't compete with that. You know, I remember you weren't ever allowed allowed to use cling film on one of your courses, were you? It was sort of like a thing of. <laughs> well, I think that was a, re- it's a regional it. thing. Yeah, it was a regional thing. Yeah, and it was kind of like, well, this is this is happening, and you're not going to stop this by saying you can't teach this. You know, I mean, now everybody uses it, don't they? You know, they've all got their own version of version. So back to your education, you're sort of educating yourself. You had a year of it last year. You had an intense, you'd invested in yourself, which I think is fantastic. Well done, you. Uh, What were the aha moments for you? Learning how to teach, actually. Uh, I think that's what I got more than anything from those three people from Australia. I think my technique... It was there almost. There was a few bits that I needed tweaking on, which I I feel like really polished it up going on those courses. But learning how to take a decent photograph of my work, that was huge because they all know how to do it in Australia. Don't they just? Even though it's always like this thing of, oh, we haven't got the light over here. And you don't need the light. You just need natural light it doesn't need to be sunlight you know and that's what I learned from all three of them was how to just get near a window and get that natural light rather than using a ring light which I was doing that's interesting because um the conversations ring ring light no ring light so you and I are a bit more don't like them so much and then there have been other guests on here that love them too that love them and use them all the time it's sort of a an interesting dialogue isn't it it's about is it authentic or is it inauthentic now the australians have so much light we have light though we just don't have sunlight but we have (laughs) light i mean we still have like eight hours a day of light don't we you know and there are really thoughts about it like that yeah we can still see outside and i think that's that's actually all you need i live in manchester i work in one of the rainiest grayest cities around but i found my sweet spot at work with the daylight and it's inside so i'm not getting wet and it's not in the direct light but my colors just bounce you know with this this natural light so and actually peter found that spot when he came to teach at our at um at the studio peter's so. chelsea hair color who is famous and yeah. fabulous as well at <laughs> doing images for instagram isn't he i mean he's just like oh, oh my god 
He's, amazing. Yeah. Show me some tricks act. that are just phenomenal. Oh, my God. He's, yeah. So you did these courses and um, how did you take what you learned and put it back into the salon? And do you think you've made the money back on your investment? Because a lot of salons are frightened of spending money. Um, they go to courses that aren't relevant to the salon. And, you know, we're talking commercial hair color here. So we don't want block panels and strange shapes and funny patterns. We want stuff that clients want. We want to be able to get those looks. So the investment was heavy for you, yeah. um, time and money. Uh, but what, the payback? Yeah, I spent £3,000 of my own money last yeah. year, which for some people is not that much but I'm self-employed you know uh, and I'm paying out for everything myself but I've definitely got that back I'd say well I mean I don't even know how to quantify it because the courses that I'm now teaching and I mean it's just invested everything inside of what I'm doing for my future so I've 100% got it back I'd say I've maybe got it back threefold really that's brilliant profit have clients seen that? Have clients yeah. seen that from you? Yeah? They know who all these people are anyway. Yes. They're so savvy. So I've had people actually come to me because I've been on the Edwards & Co course or because I've done Peter Thompson or because, you know, because they've seen me alongside these people. They've actually come to me and they've probably still got the same colour that I would have given them six months ago. But they want the confidence and they want to go out and they want to have an amazing picture at the end of it. And that's what they get. So I love that. We were talking last on our last episode about the amazing picture, um, which is really cool. Uh, You talked about, you found the sweet spot in the salon. Um, You talked about the fact that how important the picture is to capture the work um, I know that we, we certainly chatted about our frustrations on, on Insta about, oh, my God, how are we going to do this and whatever. What does and how does that all look for you? So, first of all, you've done the client who's come to you because they've seen your reputation grow and you've got a great reputation in your community. At the end of it, do you book out time to actually take a picture? Yeah. And what yeah. does that I wouldn't look like? Say, <clears throat> okay. I wouldn't say I book it out, but I factor it in to how much time I book out in a day. So okay. I don't, I don't see hundreds of clients. I, you know, I'll, I'll probably see four clients, maybe five clients in a day. Right. Uh, I work shorter hours because of obviously being a mum, but. So I, I see less people, um, but I'm, I do factor in the whole taking the photograph afterwards. And also a lot of the work that I do is at the backwash area. So, um, you know, painting on hairlines, zone toning, things like that. And I do that myself. So Yes, I do all that myself. I think the yeah. English market really demands that you do do it yourself in many ways. And so I do all of this toning, glazing myself. Because unless I've trained an assistant really well to do it, it can all go terribly wrong. And we are working in an era where there's a lot of pre-lightener going on the hair and the glazes are the finishing touches. It's the, it's the icing on the cake, so to speak. So it's good to hear that you're doing that yourself um, and doing less, less volume, but 
more sort of concentrated on those people in there. How do clients feel about you taking pictures from them? Because I know that some salons struggle. I know that some people struggle with getting the picture. You've said that you built in time to it. How do you kind of approach that conversation with clients? Or do they expect that from you because of your Instagram account? They expect it. If, if I don't take it, they wonder why it hasn't been taken. They, and think, this is... they think you're not happy with the work. Yeah. Brilliant. So you've yeah. managed to, again, to sort of build that into your whole remit. Yeah. And I take pictures, and, and, so, and a lot of the time, you know, I might just not get that. I'm quite strict, I'm quite hard on myself yeah. with what I put on my Instagram now. Um, so I won't just put anything up anymore. And sometimes I put something up and it's itching at me and I'm like, it's not right, it doesn't fit with my grid, and I end up taking it back down again. Oh, my God, so again... Something I do, I put it up, I'm looking at it, I'm like, no. Uh, and as soon as that gut feeling, and I think that's what really it's about, isn't it? If that gut doesn't say, this is me, I take it off. Uh, it was funny, you, you put a post up the other week and I'd done the exact thing. And then you put a post up and I'd taken it down and this was a few days earlier. And then you put it up saying, if it doesn't feel like you, then go with that gut feeling and take it down. And I yeah. just thought, oh, you've just absolutely nailed it because I've just done the exact same thing. It just, I think there's a rush to, there's a rush for likes, there's a rush for content, there's, a, there's this rush as if, uh, as if it's all going to disappear tomorrow. And it's something I think that's, that's probably pressure on all of us, isn't it? But I do believe that content needs to be really good and needs to really reflect the brand your personal yeah. brand, your company brand, doesn't it? I also think it's really important for your mental health to take a step back from the Instagram side. And each time I've had my children, uh, both of them now, having that break away from it all has been, even though I'm, I'm still there, I am still present online, but it's not something that I'm not working every day, I'm not taking the pictures, putting them up, I'm not... It's maybe twice, two or three times a week that I'm putting something up. And I feel so much better for it when I actually take a step away from it and look at my content properly and think, what do I want to say in that post? And not just putting something up because I've just done it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so I try not to rush anymore with that. So unless there's something that's like I've got some good, some good video or something in that day mm. and I'm like, OK, I'll post that. I don't worry about posting on Saturdays and Sundays anymore. Um, I try and post one or two a day, five days a week, but, you know, I'm always doing something. But then sometimes I'm like, does anybody really want to look at it? Who am I? It's a hard one, isn't it? But I decided that I just want my Instagram account just to reflect my brand and what I like and what I do. And my message is quite clear in that now, whereas at one point it wasn't. I think your message is really clear too. I mean, you're you like a colour expert, you're... You, it's clever because you're doing the same same sort of thing. You're doing education and commercial commercial salon work as well. And you, there's a, and the vibe works really well for you. Yeah, I think I've took a big step back. I've, I've I've thought about what it is I want to be in a year or two's time. Yes, I've discussed this with you a few times, you know, and and like you said before about worrying about what your Instagram looks like. Is it like this? Should I be putting that on? I just am very, at the minute, I just put on what feels right for me um, and where I want to be. And I'm not really thinking about 
colour brands anymore or I'm sort of just taking that step back and just doing it for myself. And that's what the super, super successful people have done, haven't they, really? They've just gone with who they are and wanted to speak to that. And that's what I think is authentic. We said we didn't like seeing a sea of hair anymore. No, Do you remember? Uh, no, it's somebody, <laughs> somebody who I really adore actually said to me, it was uh, uh, like a, a line of Irish dancers. No offence to anyone who's <laughs> Irish, because I'm Irish, but, you know, that, all that wavy river dance, curly blow dry, and I can't bear it. It just drives me mad. Yeah. I, I, every time I get a follower, I'll always go and have a quick look on their page, and if those top nine images is just a sea of hair, I'm probably not going to follow them. Yeah. It's not what they're saying to me. I know what beautiful hair looks like. I want to know who they are, what their community is, what taste they have, um, you know, a bit of fun, a bit of interest, you know, that kind of thing, really. Absolutely. Not just a sea of beautiful hair. Or curly blow dries. Because it's boring. It is boring, isn't it? So you turned me on to um, Colour Palette Cinema. You turned me on to that on Instagram. Uh, what other Instagram accounts do you follow to inspire you about hair colour that aren't hair colourists? Oh, gosh. Well, this one actually is a hair colourist, and I'm allowed to use her because I absolutely love the aesthetic of her account, even though it's so different from what I do. But Alana Waller, oh, no. and I think she's from Salon Benjamin. Now, I'm going to turn my phone on, and I'm going to go and have a look. Yeah. And she is amazing. She does kind of um, a lot of pastels. She does process shots, but they look like pure artistic, like real art, you know. Yeah. So I absolutely love her. I'm not going to say Pantone. I'm not going to say it because I'm sick of hearing about it. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I am. I, I just... I find it really false at times when the the colour of the year comes out and everyone's like, yeah, let's do that. And I'm like, come on. Like, no one really wants that colour on their hair and no one's really getting inspired by that. Like, Well, I, you know, I might have to disagree maybe they are. with you maybe on they that. Are. I might have to disagree with are. you on that because uh, you'll have to listen to episode three. Oh, gosh, what have I said here? You haven't said anything. Don't worry, because this is all about, this is about, you know, everyday hair colourists, about hair colourists. It's about what inspires, what doesn't. Yeah. Absolutely, that's fine. So Colour Palette Cinema, for our audience, is a fab one to follow, which you introed me to, which shows the impact of colour on film. Really, really cool. How did you find that? Oh, gosh, I think it was probably one of my late night scrolling around and, you know, finding, I just, that, Colour Palette Cinema, I just love that. Now, that, to me, is really, really inspiring. Like, it's, it's the, they pull out a, a, a movie and they find seven or eight colours at the bottom and they frame it into the picture and it's just absolutely mesmerising. It's brilliant. It's I absolutely think it's mesmerising. I think so it I really is. That. I love that one. And a food one, you said to me. What was the food one? It's Gil Meller. Gil.Meller. Gil.Meller. And what is it about that that in, inspires you? He, all of his images are gorgeous. So it's all quite uh, rough and rural and it's, it's really, he brings kind of his country into his plate, which I really, really love. Uh, it's, it's just really inspiring food and the, he, everything that he does kind of works around the landscape that 
that he, oh, cool. that he works in. Well, we work great. with landscapes, don't we, as colourists? We work yeah, with we landscapes do. and all that. So, a busy mom of two now and self-employed, um, working in a collective, which is really cool. You spent a lot of time online at night time, looking at education, <laughs> chatting with people when you can. The, your journey of discovery on the internet, has it, how do you, how, has it broadened your horizons? Oh, huge, hugely. I've got people now, I've actually made really, really good friends over, the, over Instagram now, which I think, you know, when did you ever sort of meet a friend like that? So you've got your own circles and everything and the salons that you work in, but Holly, holly.mac, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she's from a salon called The Wild Side in Scotland. And we've become really, really good friends now. And she's come and shadowed me in the salon and, you know, and that was purely through Instagram that we met. And it's just, you just meet people all over the world, don't you? You really do. I found, I've found with it, I mean, there is a love or hate thing going on there, but I've certainly found that I've been able to communicate with more people. I've been able to talk to people in totally different countries and different parts of the world who... I've built up this sort of Insta buddies, really, who, you know, I enjoy if I see them at an event. We're not aligned through a product company, which is great. There's usually a process of that we have the same kind of feeling about hair colour, and that's the commercial aspect of it. So it's been a wonderful opportunity for me. Even Cherie in Australia, actually, I I got talking to her long before I actually met her, Um, and yeah, it's just kind of this, I think as colorists now, we have a, especially in the commercial sector, we've got the same train of thought, we've got the same taste levels, you know, and it's hard to meet somebody that you gel with like that sometimes. And so you do end up getting really good friends with people. So Instagram changed the game, didn't it? In the sense of that at one point, it, it, the conversation was led by product companies, um, which I love product companies, you know, I'm, I love products. Um, but now the conversation's been led by hairdressers. And so it's, I think it's more and more important for us to, to keep together and to gel with other people and, and listen to what's going on for them. So how did Instagram change the game for you, do you think? And what would you say to salon owners who are struggling with Instagram? What advice would you offer to them on how to build so it's a two-part question there. Okay, so I'm just trying to think when I started. I mean, my following's quite modest compared to, to yourself, but my followers that I've got are very, very integral to my business. Yes. Let's discuss that because I think that there's this huge issue with people worried about numbers and worried about, you know, if I haven't got 5 million followers or I haven't got 100,000, you know, 75, 30, whatever. For me, I think that the numbers don't matter. It's about who you're speaking to. Um, And so you you say your numbers are modest, but your engagement's good. Yeah, my engagement's really good. And I know who I'm speaking to. Exactly. So I've found my niche with who my core audience are, and that will be my clients my students, and then the hairdressers, my peers, the people that I'm following. 
Yeah. Um, so so that's they're the three people who every single post that I put on, I'm tailoring to those three people. I'm not just willy nilly putting it out there. I am. I'm, I know who I've got in mind every time I put a post up. Brilliant. Um, and I think that's really important to do that. And was that something that you? And I know it's not, but it's like it wasn't something that you started out with. It was how did that come to be that your your feeling of confidence in that? Where did that come from? I mean, listening to podcasts, uh, Jen, is it Jenna Kutcher? I think that we've both listened to to that one, actually, The Gold Digger. Yeah. And she she actually put on said on her podcast about finding your niche, um, you know, making sure that. You, you're really, really tailoring who it is that you're talking to. And and once you start doing that, then you just start building and you see yourself building a lot more. Um, I don't really know where the, where the turning point was for me where I started to sort of, you know, gain a lot more followers, but every single one of them are really important to, to my feed, definitely, you know. Brilliant. My turning point was two years ago, uh, no, two years ago or maybe a year and a half ago when I just went and just got rid of all my early posts and, you know, there were all sorts of strange things on there, you know, me with a glass of whiskey and dancing on <laughs> a bar top and, you know, maybe a bit of press coverage and I just really wanted to turn it into just an education, you know, yeah. sort of showcasing the, the art of freehand and that's when it changed for me and I've seen a rapid rise in the last year of people that are just interested in all of that. So... I think taking ownership and sort of saying, okay, this is what I'm going to be, this is who yeah. I am, is good. I think, I think you're probably right, actually, because thinking back, I split my personal and my business Instagram up maybe about four years ago, maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, you, you're probably right. Since then, that's when my growth has gone from a few hundred to a few thousand. So, yeah. I think you're right. The other thing with Instagram now, I was reading a, a, a blog about it the other day. It used to be this big thing of making sure that you put lots and lots of hashtags on each one of your posts and, you know, making sure that you're keying into whoever you're trying to talk to. They're now changing the algorithms. So they want you to use less hashtags on each one of your posts now. But obviously, they've got to be quite important to what your post is. Absolutely. So three or four really good ones rather than 10 ones trying to capture so many different things yeah yeah so this is interesting because this is of course instagram is new to all of us isn't it really in many ways so this is self-learned i love the fact that you've invested all this time in your business you believe in your brand i guess it's just a it's a hobby as well as as a business you know and it's I don't really have any other hobbies like this is the the thing that really really gets me and I'm really interested in it so and it's never ending there's always something to learn <laughs> it's it's there's always something isn't there it's yeah. constant and sometimes it gets in your head and it's too much but I guess for me it's not too much because that's my little sanctuary away, you know. I've kind of I've got my mum life where I've, I do my day to day things, and then that's where I can really get my teeth into it and sort of start using my brain again. So it's, it's interesting. So you use yeah. it as a use it as a, an outlet in it's many an outlet ways for me. Yeah, definitely. I think when I when I teach and when I'm talking to people, um, and you ask around the room if they know 
some trends or if they've seen and some iconic trends as well that have been sort of Instagrammable trends, um, if they know this or that. And then sort of room goes quiet. And I sort of say to everyone, really, this is part of the job. And we need to find time in a day to have half an hour either side of the day to kind of look towards our Instagram accounts to see what people are saying, to see what beauty editors are saying, to see what other hair colorists are saying so that we can keep informed, relevant and fresh all the time. And then sort of, you know, you get the few sort of disgruntled people who are like, mm, I don't, don't, don't want to do it, don't understand it, don't like it. I think don't like it and don't understand it are both fears, aren't they? Yeah, I can understand that. Some people genuinely, genuinely don't like it. Mm. I mean, there's a couple of people in my salon that just really, really don't want to do it, really don't like it. And they're really busy, so why should they? They don't need to. Um, But it depends whether you want to change and evolve, because we can all keep the clients that we've had forever, can't we? Yes. Well... Maybe, until they get bored. I'm not sure. They are probably going to get bored. Yeah, until they get Um, bored. But I think there's always like a certain percentage that will be really loyal to you and that will stay to you, with you because of what, you know, you are. But I've seen a massive, massive change. I mean, when I started hairdressing years ago, and even I'd say even about six, seven years ago, probably in the recession time, you know, when we went through the, the credit yeah. crunch, everything changed everything changed like people weren't wanting to come in anymore for their six week top-ups they couldn't afford to I was working at Harvey Nichols at the time so it was one of the most expensive salons in the city centre um we were so used to having this huge footfall through the door I mean we were always busy and we never had to work for it it was just there because of the brand that we were and this the, the where we were and then the recession happened and everything changed Yes, and 2010, that's when I came back to the UK, the market was ripe because people had stopped uh, going to the salon as often, people were okay with having roots, Um, people didn't want foil highlights, they didn't want to look like their moms. There was this whole changing conversation, and I think a lot of people kind of struggled with that. But, of course, that was nine years ago now. That's, you know, coming up to nine years, that's a long time ago. Yep. But you're doing something really different. Hashtag... Dump the tint. Hashtag dump the tint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tell me. My client came up with that. And what happened was I was getting all these beautiful, fresh, young women in to get their hair done. And they were able to go six months in between having the hair coloured. So they would pay however much they needed to pay. But they would get a huge longevity out of their colour. And then come back and do the same thing six months later. And then I had clients who had grey hair that still wanted to have lived in colour, but they were having to come back to me every four weeks. And they wouldn't just come in and have their roots done. They'd come in and have their roots done, but they'd also want some baby lights to break up the roots. They'd also want another toner. They'd also want the inner looks or, you know, whatever came with it. So they were spending an absolute fortune And actually, half of the time they were saying, I don't actually mind my grey hair. I just don't want a badger stripe through the middle. But they were like, am I going to look old? Do I look old if I grow this out? And it just dawned on me that I was so sick and tired. And I'm sorry to say this, but male hairdressers who I've worked with have actually been the worst people for this. Oh, watch out, everyone. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Just saying 
You look old if you've got grey roots. You've got to cover your roots up. It's you a, look old if you don't, instead of distinguished, like a man would look. Exactly. I think that's a... I think that it's uh, it's sexism, isn't it? It's pure sexism. Mm. It's pure sexism. And I just had enough of it. And I had enough clients actually coming to me saying, I don't mind the grey. And so I was like, well, if you don't mind it... And I can help you along with it to still look absolutely gorgeous, but you've got a few grey hairs, then let's go with it. Let's dump the tint. So I love it. Hashtag dump the tint, born out of frustration with uh, badger stripe roots, which, of course, I don't think anyone really likes. How, how does that translate into salon? What does that look like? So the initial appointment is probably them having to suffer for an extra couple of weeks on top of what they would have normally gone. So they'd maybe have to maybe grow it out initially for, say, six to eight weeks. Okay. And then when they come in, we start completely fresh and we do highlights, usually in baby light form, some low lights just to blend it through. And then we really start to lift up and balayage areas around the bottom. Right. Um, and maybe do a little zone tone in certain areas. And then they'll probably come for another little refresh, maybe six weeks later, just to make sure that it's growing through fine. And the last client that I did, just before I went on maternity leave in December, hasn't had a hair done since December, and she's waiting until I get back. <laughs> and so, she's fresh and modern, and she looks incredible with it. So fresh and modern, of course, is what every woman in her 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s wants to be, and relevant, of course. Yeah. Um, so within two visits, you've managed to eliminate that, that strong line. Yeah, yeah. And then you've broken it all up. And generally, yeah, I've broken it all up. They can then decide. My whole ethos of my hair colour, of lived-in colour, is hair that looks good from day one to day 90. I love that. But actually, it goes beyond day one to day 90. And I just wanted my clients to be able to make the decision of when they wanted to have their hair done and not their hair making the decision of when they had to have it done. Hold that, hold that, hold that, hold that. I love that. You wanted to make the decision that your clients made it, not the hair made it. It's yeah. going to get coloured. Yeah. That's brilliant. Are you not... So lots of people listening, uh, hopefully lots of people listening, in small salons, <laughs> um, up and down the high street, down the main street, in villages, um, talking about commercial colour, and you're saying hashtag dump the tint. Did that scare you? No. Because I, the more my clients trust me, the more I know I'm going to keep them as a client right. for a long, long time. So... If I say to my clients, so, th- so this is going back to the conversation we had about the recession, that people couldn't afford to come back all the time. You know, they they had to, they wanted to still come and have a luxury hair colour service, but they didn't want to come back and have to pay for it every six weeks. So when my clients come in, they get absolutely everything that they want, and it's a treat. It's a real treat. But I know for a fact they're going to come back through my door three months later in fact they usually say to me shall I book in for three months time um but I generally just say to them you know let's just see how it grows out and see how you feel well I'm a big advocate of that I always say and I always talk feeling so it's like should I book and I'm like you don't just book when you you feel like it but I work on and which is probably what you're doing is working on premise of having more people come less often 
than having working on a really tight schedule of just having people in like booked in every six, eight weeks. And so let people have a bit more freedom. And then, you know, if I need to stay late or I need to come in, I'll try my best to do that if it's sort of last minute and they haven't really, really thought it through. But so you the weren't problem, frightened? No, no. I wasn't frightened at all. Um, and I felt, I went to a, a, a colour seminar and they were sort of saying how much we needed to get people back into the chair and we were losing this certain amount of, of this certain percentage of clients because of home colouring. And and deep down, I just kind of thought to myself, actually, this isn't true. I don't feel like I'm losing clients to home colouring at all. I just feel like they're coming a lot less often because they're having more low-maintenance colour. But I've got a much bigger percentage and I'm earning more than I ever did before. So it's got to say something, doesn't it? I think it does. I think that I think that obviously home hair colour is the sort of bane of the industry because not maybe it doesn't necessarily affect us, but I think it affects some salons. But that's about people seeing value, isn't it? That they don't see value in getting something in the salon. Um, so they'll, you know, you put one bowl of tint out, somebody goes and picks up one box from the local supermarket. I mean, it's the same equation for them because they don't understand it. But as soon as you start doing something like what you're saying about breaking up the tint, doing different things in there, that can't be replicated in a box. And so those clients aren't going to go there. So I think the message that I always like to portray to people is, you know, people will always go and get a box dye, you know, if that's their market. But if you're offering something that is totally tailored to that client and that nobody else is doing and is as unique as your fingerprint, then if they're happy, they'll stay with you. Absolutely. I mean, also it's making them feel beautiful with that colour as well. So it's it's not saying that you need to go and be completely grey. I mean, look at sort of Erin O'Connor, um, Sarah Harris from Vogue. You know, these women are beautiful, young and fresh. Just because they've got grey hair, it doesn't mean they're not young and fresh. No. It's... Um, so I think it's just making sure that what you do is still really modern within that format, you know, and it's not making anybody feel old if anything it's going the other way because I know myself I've grown it out my, I've grown my own grey out and there's nothing that made me feel worse than seeing the stripe down the middle I don't mind seeing like some grey hairs through it as long as it's blended and it still looks fresh so Nancy in your consultations I know that you've already talked about the fact you're not charging for them yet but you're probably going to go there uh, and you already take these deposits for your first-time colour appointments, which I think is fantastic. Well done, you. What does a consultation look like with you? Because I think that the consultation nails it. If it's good, the client's happy. If it's crap, the client's not. And that's where all the problems arise. So I've asked every guest that's come on so far, what does that look like? So could you take me through it? If, would you mind taking me through it? Yeah. A consultation is really me getting to know who that person is before absolutely anything else. So I will sit down with them and have a little chat with them and get to actually know them for five minutes uh, before we even start on on what we're looking at hair-wise. And generally, they they pull up five images from my own Instagram and that's why they're coming to me. So... Right. Um, 
maybe it's a little bit easier for me in that way. I haven't done anything... I haven't done anything I've felt uncomfortable with for a very, very long, long time because I feel like I'm attracting what I'm putting out. Right. So I think my consultations are pretty straightforward. I honestly don't think I I don't really feel, unless I'm not gelling with somebody in my chair, um, I generally feel that a lot of my clients have got the same taste as what I've got now. Um, whereas years ago when I used to do a consultation, I remember I'd be battling them saying, trying to make them understand why they can't have ash or why, what gold means or, Mm. you know, going into real technical, uh, technical speak. And actually a lot of clients don't understand that and don't really want to know. They just want to know, can my hair do this? And when can you book me in? (laughs) Well, that's that's quite easy for you then, isn't it? Generally it is. Honestly, I, I can't really say anything else apart from that, you know. So I do spend sort of five minutes or so getting to know who they are first, just so that I know that we're on the same page. And then, right. and then we go down. Um, I mean, I, I obviously I ask about the hair history, what they've had done, uh, where they want to be. Generally, somebody's coming in and they've got something that they're looking towards. And, and a lot of my clients already expect that they won't get it in one appointment. Um, so yeah, managing expectations, I guess, is a big thing, making sure that they are on that journey with me. Um, and yeah, it's really quite simple. I think it should be simple. Um, I think that there should be some theatre to it personally, but I think that it's getting to know the person that is the piece, isn't it? And the other, the flip of it, and you said it so brilliantly, which there's sort of this conversation going on in the UK about managing clients' expectations. Um, And I think that that happens within the consultation, doesn't it? So how do you manage an expectation? I will be brutally honest at times. Not offensively honest, but brutally honest if somebody comes in expecting... I did have one... I can just remember one client last year, actually, that... Uh, wanted this really brilliant ash balayage like you know super light super bright and it just wasn't possible it just wasn't possible to get to that um and I'd actually tried a couple of times and each journey I got to I couldn't get past the orange I just couldn't get past it Mm. and we sat down in the end and I just said look if you want this your hair, you're going to have to have your hair coloured, bleached twice every single time you have it done and your hair's going to feel horrendous. Um, and in the end, we actually came to a compromise together and we actually ended up going down a completely different path and she was really happy with it and it suited her. Yes. <laughs> but sometimes they have to know, they have to go down that path before they can accept that almost. It's like they don't believe you until they're there and then they're like "Mm, i'm just so thrilled that ashy look has gone anyway you know that's super ash look thank goodness thank goodness so nancy thank you so much for spending the time with me today i know that you're super super busy and it's been really great chatting with you about everything what's your instagram handle at nancy stripe color at nancy stripe color c-o-l-o-u-r yeah, I, I haven't quite gone over to stateside, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh. 
So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcast from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. 